they will enter the honey hive and start what we call a slaughter phase. They'll grab the adult honeybees, decapitate them, drop their bodies and their heads to the ground. Once that has happened, they will start to harvest the pupae and the larvae from the hive, taking it back to feed their own. This is Cassie Chihorse. She works for the Washington State Department of Agriculture, and she's talking about an invasive species that's recently entered the U.S. called the Asian giant hornet. Or, if you've been reading the news, what the media has dubbed the murder hornet. Welcome to Behind the Veil, a show about a beekeeper trying to answer the questions, what's killing bees, and who's doing something about it? On today's episode, I talked to Cassie about how Asian giant hornets were first found in the US and about her team's work to stop them from establishing here and destroying honeybee colonies. My name is Cassie Chihorse. I work for the Washington State Department of Agriculture. I am the Asian Giant Hornet Outreach and Education Specialist. Before we get too deep into this, it's worth Googling a picture of an Asian Giant Hornet. If you're driving or busy, I'll describe it. They can get up to two inches long, like the size of a thumb, and have these giant mandibles which they use to rip the heads off of bees. They're native to East Asia, and the Japanese word for these hornets literally translates to giant sparrow bee. So, for lack of a better word, they're scary looking. Because they're so large, they do have a stinger that can deliver um, more venom than we're used to receiving compared to our native insects. It can create a flesh wound around the sting, and since they're a hornet, they can sting multiple times. In other countries, bees have adapted over time to Asian giant hornets. They have defense mechanisms. For example, Japanese honeybees will surround a hornet and vibrate, and the friction gets this ball of insects up to 116 degrees Fahrenheit, and the hornet will be cooked alive. But in the US, honeybees don't have these adaptations. So that's why it was a big deal when the first sighting of an Asian giant hornet was reported in the US. A resident of Blaine reported to the Washington Invasive Species Council who turned it over to the Washington State Department of Agriculture, and then by December 12th, it was confirmed to be Asian giant hornet. When Cassie said this, I thought, wait, there's an invasive species council? That's a thing? Basically, what their goal is, if we can prevent invasive species from establishing in Washington, the costs of maintaining our ecosystem are greatly reduced than if we're being retroactive in taking care of invasive species. And they don't just work with insects, they work with plants, fungus, you know, other things that can also be invasive. So at this point, the WSDA got into action to inform the residents of Washington State about Asian giant hornets. They put out a press release and set up a hotline so that people could report sightings by phone or email. They created a whole communications plan, basically. Remember, they've dealt with invasives before. It's their job. But at this point, nobody is calling them murder hornets. And then the New York Times published an article about it. A researcher in Japan told the New York Times that over here we call them murder hornets. They do have other names, like they're called yak killer hornet and giant sparrow bee, but that murder hornet was definitely sensationalized. We were blown up with phone calls, emails. People were scared that there was this murder hornet in their backyard. Murder hornets won't hunt you down and murder you. They don't actually murder people. 
If you stumble into a nest and get multiple stings, there is danger. But in their native range, they only kill about 20 people a year. The real danger they pose is to honeybees. They can decimate a honeybee hive in anywhere from one to six hours. They will start in a hunting phase. So a couple Asian giant hornets might be hanging out around a honeybee hive, catching an occasional honeybee outside the hive, kind of mashing it up into the ball, taking it back to feed their own. If they decide this is a great source of protein and they want to go after it, they'll mark that hive with a pheromone and that will signal the other hornets to come here. Then they'll enter a slaughter phase where they decapitate the bees and occupy the hive as though it's their own. So yeah, as you can imagine, the last thing we need is Asian giant hornets establishing in the U.S. Beekeepers in the state were worried and the general public were pretty shaken up by the term murder hornet. We were receiving so many reports that our server basically crashed because our emails were full. The hotline was completely full. There was no more room to leave any voicemails. Um, the online reporting forum was completely overwhelmed, and it was pretty much all hands on deck from that point moving forward, answering hundreds of phone calls from the weekend and answering hundreds of emails throughout the entire week. So while Cassie and her team were busy responding to people who were mistaking regular paper wasps for Asian giant hornets, the entomologists at the WSDA were busy creating traps. Our entomologists dove into some hardcore deep research that winter, looking at different types of things that were used in their native range, different types of lures, attractants, bait, just ways that they were catching Asian giant hornets over there. They brought those ideas to the table, kind of weighed pros and cons, said, what can we actually do here? And what's actually feasible? What can we afford to do? What can we do with the human resources we have? And then moving forward into the spring, they set up experimental traps, testing all these different kinds of baits, which we tested throughout the entire summer. But the main trap that we were using was that rice, wine, and orange juice mixture. Sake and orange juice in old plastic bottles with holes in them. That turned out to be the trick. The hornets would be attracted to the sweet smell and come for a quick drink and not be able to find their way out. Of course, a small team can't set out all the traps necessary, so they set up a citizen scientist trapping program where volunteers could commit 17 weeks of their time to setting up and regularly checking traps. In the end, around 1,500 traps were set up. Most of them were made of plastic bottles and others were designed to capture the hornets while still alive. Soon, the team was able to capture a few live hornets. The goal? Follow them back to their nests. When we went to track our first Asian giant hornet, we put her on some ice to cool her down so she's not moving as much in that tagging attempt because you don't want to get stung, you don't want any, any fluid secreted on you, and you won't be able to successfully attach that tracker. I want to jump in here and explain that this tracker is a tiny Bluetooth chip that they're trying to tie on with dental floss. If they're successful, they'll be able to follow the hornet and destroy the colony it came from. It's hard work, but after a few minutes, they were able to do it. There's lots of different things that can go wrong when tracking Asian giant hornets. They do have really big mandibles, and one of them was able to chew through the dental floss and chew off her tracker. We were able to then to reapply the tracker to her and she eventually took off now, here's the thing I didn't know. For this Bluetooth tracking to work, you actually have to be pretty close by the hornet. 
unfortunately the signal strength was just was not long enough to help us locate the hornet through all of the forest. I mean, there's Himalayan blackberry bushes, lots of trees, lots of dense foliage, you know, it's not generally managed for walking trails. Some time goes by and the team gets another chance with another specimen that's caught. This time, they use a different technology. Radio tags borrowed from the USDA. I imagine this being like Find My iPhone, you know, where you see a map and a little blinking dot. Turns out, that's totally wrong. If you think of a really old cable antenna that's sitting on top of someone's house, has all the different prongs coming out of it, essentially you're going to hold that in your hand. It's going to be connected to a battery case. When you're pointing in, in the correct direction of where the tracker is, it'll send off a certain tone or a certain signal. If you're not hearing that signal, you know you're not in the right direction. As you get closer, that signal will increase or it'll become louder. For some reason, I had imagined a team of entomologists in a Jeep driving through narrow dirt roads with this tracking device. But again, I was wrong. We are hiking in the woods. We're crawling around trees. We're keeping our eyes open because if there is a nest, you don't want to stumble upon it. That could be really dangerous. But no, essentially we're trekking through the forest. And then they find it. Not in the ground where Asian giant hornets normally build nests, but up in a hollowed out tree, eight feet off of the ground. This posed some new challenges. We had to purchase some additional equipment and think of a way to seal up the tree. They typically only have one entry, but this was in a tree cavity. We wanted to seal that entire cavity just in case the tree was hollowed out and would crack or break anymore. We didn't want those hornets to be able to escape. So from when we found the nest, we took a day to gather everything, get everything together. With a thermal radar, they were able to see how big the nest was, about a foot tall and eight or nine inches wide. The plan was to fill up the cavity with CO2 foam, wrap it in cellophane, then use a specially rigged vacuum to suck up the hornets. The next morning, we got in our cars. I believe it was 5 a.m. when we arrived at the nest and we put our suits on, pulled all the gear up to the entrance of the nest. Then the nest was sealed off. It was so it was first stuffed with foam, then it was wrapped with plastic wrap. We looked at the temperature once more to see if it really was all in the tree or if perhaps it extended into the ground. The heat source was just in the tree. That's when it got really exciting. And when we pulled the vacuum out, plugged the vacuum into the tree, and I turned on the power button, like that was when it was like, we're actually doing it. With the vacuum plugged in, one of the entomologists starts hitting the tree with a wooden stick to get any hornets that were hanging on to let go. And yes, the whole team there wore these massive protective suits. When you see pictures of this, it looks like something out of a sci-fi movie. Those suits are really hard to work in. They're very big. If you imagine what it was like wearing a space suit, I would say that's it. You can't really raise your hands above your head because they're just so tight. The feet and the hands are connected. It does come equipped with a face shield because hornets can secrete venom. You don't want that in your eyes because it can damage your eyes. So you put a plastic layer over that to keep your face safe. They have little fans in the top that you can turn on to circulate air so you're not fogging up, as well as you wear goggles underneath that. By the end of the day, they had vacuumed up 85 hornets. Then they returned to cut down the tree and take the portion that had the nest back to the lab for research. 
so the first thing we did was actually fill the cavity up with carbon dioxide. That's what we use during the eradication, the idea that if anything is live and present, it will knock them out. We had backup carbon dioxide fire extinguishers to spray at it in any event that something would emerge out at us. They used a circular saw to cut partially into one side of the tree, and then they put in a metal wedge and struck it with a sledgehammer, splitting the log open. Upon opening that up, there was hornets slowly starting to become mobilized and come back to life a little bit. We quickly picked those out with chopsticks, put them on ice in the cooler, and by doing that, we were able to peel the nest comb back. Inside, they found six layers of comb, 776 cells, each of which can fit one hornet, 302 unborn hornets, 112 females, six males, 76 queens, and their radio tag, which had been chewed off inside the nest. It was a huge success in stopping the spread of Asian giant hornets. And now it's winter, so tracking season is over. Everything will die in the winter but queens. Queens will overwinter, so they'll find a spot in the soil or somewhere covered, some shelter to overwinter. Moving into the spring, they'll emerge and start to build that underground nest. And moving into the later spring, early summer, workers will emerge and they'll be flying around foraging. A lot of people might think my work's done now because it's the winter time. However, I'm still going to be taking public reports. We're still gonna be analyzing data and getting ready for next trapping season. Cassie says the USDA has a three-year timeline to determine if an invasive species is established or not, which means there's still time to get rid of them. And after this latest eradication, she's hopeful. My goal with these podcasts isn't to make it seem like honeybees are doomed. They're not. Not by a long shot. Instead, my goal is to tell the stories of people working to help bees and working to learn more about them. Behind the Veil is hosted by me, Alfredo Salkeld, and produced in partnership with Buda Bee Apiary. Buda Bee Apiary installs and maintains beehives in backyards with one mission in mind, help people fall in love with honeybees. Thank you to Cassie Cheehorse for helping me understand the ins and outs of controlling invasive pests. If you want to see videos of the Asian giant hornet nest being eradicated or being opened up back at the lab, I'll post links in the show notes and at bootobeeapiary.com. If you want us to keep telling stories like this, it would be a huge help if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again, and talk to you on the next episode.